Ladies and gentlemen, tonight we are going to witness the most anticipated match in the history of professional wrestling for the heavyweight championship of the world. Let's get ready to rumble. Hello, hello, hello. Thank you again for joining us for another episode of Movie Weight Classes, the bi-weekly podcast where we try to figure out within a certain genre who the lightweight, middleweight, and heavyweight champion of that genre is. On today's episode, we're going to be talking about book-to-movie adaptations. I'm your host, Parker. I'm joined, as always, with Mark and Punya. How y'all doing on this beautiful morning? Doing great. Doing great. I am here. <laughs> recording a podcast all right i love that um i think when it comes to like book to movie adaptations it, this might be just as simple as having something to work off of but why do you feel like because at least from my research when i when i started looking into this topic i found a lot more examples than i thought were based off movies like uh, there were a lot more movies that were based off books than I expected. And I guess the question I want to pose to y'all is, why do y'all think that book-to-movie adaptations are so prevalent within Hollywood? I think, uh, um, I think, it, I think there's an obvious reason for why, at least to me, uh, why they're so popular is just because it's easier for a lot of filmmakers, especially when... Uh, you know, you're trying to like secure money from a network to, or, or, or you know, from a studio to actually get your film made. I, obviously, you have to like prove that there's going to be like a good return on it. So I feel like if if you're like, here's this very successful book that already is a bestseller, uh, we can piggyback off of the off of the success of this thing to really uh, sell it to people. Then it's like, okay, there's already going to be some base for this movie that will watch it, so so we can go forward with it. So I, I feel like that uh, e- either that, I mean, in terms of like the financial like easiness of it and also just Mm -hmm. like yeah just having a story that's already written it just takes out kind of like just one of the major chunks of making a movie i'm like because i'm not an amazing storyteller i think maybe if i were to go into like full-time filming i'd probably have to adapt someone else's book first before i could even get into it i don't know uh, if other people kind of like do adaptations first or some people only do adaptations Mm -hmm. yeah what do you think mark um, I think a lot of the time, I mean, it, we, we see it's the same thing with, you know, there's sequels and remakes constantly is just that, like Punya said, it's easier to get something done with the with the known IP attached to it, you know. Um, but I think that uh, a lot of times, too, it's just someone loved this thing and so they want to see it in a different medium. Uh, you know, and so one person is like attached to this project and then an entire movie forms around it. Uh, kind of like, you know, it's just fan fiction in a way, you know, high, <laughs> yeah. high budget fan fiction, high budget, high art fan fiction. Um, I guess building off that, the question I want to pose to y'all is, do you think there is an art in adapting a screenplay or sorry, adapting a book to a screenplay? Like, do you think there is an inherent kind of skill that is required to adapt? Um, you know, what could be a 500, 600, a thousand page book into a two hour runtime? I mean, absolutely. Um, it takes, it takes a lot of skill, just like, you know, the number one rule of uh, screenwriting a show, don't tell. Well, mm. in a book, it's just there's only tell, you know. Um, yeah. So being able to translate that uh, more descriptive, I guess, medium into something that still works and uh, 
still uh, flows without that extra little help, I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's definitely difficult because you're you're missing out uh, on you know half the content, quote unquote, and then you have to cut stuff anyway because books are longer than movies. Yeah, exactly. I, 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 think, I was, I was go gonna ahead. say yeah, it definitely seems like it takes a lot of skill involved because I mean, like it's it's such a it's such a complex thing like to have a book with all of these descriptive uh, elements and you know like there's narration sometimes there's you know, there's like a lot of room for exposition which is like hard to cram into a movie so you have to really think about like the visual storytelling and like what can you cut so that's why there is this whole thing of like was it a good adaptation was it a bad adaptation was it yeah. faithful to the book. I think I think you can almost look at um, adaptive screenplays and the writer more as an editor than you would a writer um, because they are building off of something that is already there. It's really up to them to figure out what is kind of the core text of this story and what can I build off of for a uh, for a story. And I, I do think there is an inherent skill to adapting screenplays, obviously. I guess the question is, do y'all think there's more, is there more value in, and this is a really like high art question, is there more value in an adaptive screenplay or an original screenplay? There's... Because I guess my like gut reaction is to say original, but adapting a screenplay is, if not harder, equally as hard as an original. What I, do y'all think? I, I think there that the, the, the there's more value in a good screenplay you know it doesn't it, it doesn't too. matter uh, it doesn't matter i don't think because i think movies that really well make that translation um which i think one of mine is like an excellent uh you know it's not necessarily the best movie but as a translation mm-hmm. of the source material you know being able to do that i don't think i think just creating a movie is enough of an art that it doesn't matter where the screenplay came from there's that the it just has to be good Okay, I see what you're saying. I yeah, I, I would say the same thing, but I will I, I will say I think I'd be more impressed by a movie that wasn't uh, that wasn't based on a book. Not only only just because I yeah. understand that like it was like the writing process was kind of like all in house. It was like all kind of all uh, linked together. There was no like being faithful to something. It was all made for the movie. Yeah, for the screen, undeniably, you know. Yeah, but I think, but they, I think they, certain movies, like you know, big surprise, but like Scott Pilgrim versus the World is an adaptation. <laughs> Bring it back, baby. <laughs> like it's it, it where it really thrives is if you've read the source material. That is such a good adaptation of the source material, like in terms of tone, without necessarily being faithful story wise. Um, okay, so I, I think guess, you can you can swing of... the complete opposite way too with like Watchmen being almost too faithful to the uh, to the screen or to the original text and being almost a shot for shot rendition until the very end where they decide that a giant squid is too much for this story. <laughs> the blue yeah, penis. I guess, I guess the blue dog were... was fine, but a giant squid too far. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, yeah, then it goes back to what we were talking about before about like, yeah, just how well are you able to adapt it? And that's like kind of an art in itself. No, I would I would say it's definitely an art. And and like I said, I I do look at them more as editors than writers. Um, I I guess the way uh, for me, when I I like an adaptive screenplay, that is (laughs) weirdly enough, it's not one that I'm going to be talking about. But have you all seen Adaptation um, written and directed by Charlie Kaufman with Nick Cage? Yeah, that movie is incredible. It's it's for context. It's about a writer who's 
given a task of adapting um, I, I'm blanking on the book right now, but adapting a pretty famous book into a movie. And the movie is about him trying to adapt that book into a movie. And it's a very <laughs> meta narrative about kind of the screenwriting process and the art that it takes to adapt a a book into a movie. And uh, the movie's worth watching for Nick Cage alone, which is weird to say as a positive, but it is a positive, um, especially considering he plays a dual role as both Charlie Kaufman and his fictional uh, twin brother. Huh. Wow. Yeah, I've it's heard of this movie. movie. Yeah, that's, it sounds, it's, I've heard it in the context of being an extremely meta movie, which it sounds like. So. <laughs> oh, it's unbelievably meta, but it also... It, it weirdly is an adaptation of the novel that he's trying to adapt. It's one of those films that it's like too smart for me most of the time, but I appreciate that it's too smart for me, you know, <laughs> but that you could say that about all Charlie Kaufman movies, I think. Yeah. Speaking of Charlie Kaufman movies, yeah. Punya, you want to kick us off? Yeah, totally. Yeah. So we'll start with Lightweight. Um, I had, uh, I'm thinking of Ending Things, which is a mm -hmm. great Charlie Kaufman movie. Uh, it was on, it was a Netflix original, I think. Uh, it came out last yeah. year. Um, that was, it was a, that was a really, uh, it was just a wild ride, honestly, because uh, from the moment I saw the trailer, I was like really hooked. It like really makes you wonder what the hell is going on. Um, oh yeah <laughs> i i really wish i could remember the main actor's name but it also has jesse clemens jesse in buckley it. i believe okay jesse buck or it's jesse buckley and jesse clemens if i remember okay. oh correctly. clemens okay yeah yeah because i was gonna say yeah jesse clemens is in he's he was in breaking bad and a couple other things it's like he always plays unsettling characters so the second you see him you know it's going to be an unsettling movie uh and it is <laughs> um it's this one is so interesting because it really like makes you wonder what is going on the entire time. Uh, it's told from this. Uh, it's told from the perspective of this woman who's going on this long road trip with her boyfriend, and she is thinking of ending things. Hence the title. Um, and she and as when she gets to the house, she's. Uh, she, or, or sorry, yeah, it's not a road trip. They're going to to see his parents. When they mm -hmm. when they get to his house, uh, it's just a really uncomfortable scenario with the parents and just a lot of weird things going on. Uh, obviously I don't want to spoil it, but yeah. I, yeah, it was, it was based on a book. Uh, and apparently it's fairly faithful to it. Uh, I see, I saw some people are kind of upset about like a couple pieces being missing. Um, the but, ending especially. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I saw too. But overall, uh, yeah, just really tense, really like makes you question what's going on. Um, it's not even like there are plot twists. It's just the, the plot just keeps on turning uh so it just yeah makes you wonder what's happening at every turn what did y'all think have you have you seen it this movie's a wild ass ride dude yeah it's, <laughs> this movie's wild it's nuts um and it just doesn't stop no <laughs> no it does not you're like oh this movie's really weird i want oh okay uh this is happening <laughs> and if you've seen the movie, you know what we're talking about. It's definitely a movie, like you said, that you you really cannot talk about without spoiling. So we're going to do our best to talk around sort of the key yeah. elements because it is a movie that, you know, the more the less you know about it, the better, I believe, um, which can be said about almost all Charlie Kaufman movies. Yeah. And the, um, it's, the pacing is like so erratic with there's oh, like this. Yeah this b story kind of that's intercut throughout the entire movie just randomly these scenes and you have no idea 
what they have to do with anything for like most of the movie like until like yeah. halfway through it's but just the B like story also doesn't show up until about halfway through the movie it's like a good 25 minutes before they introduce a b story and even the a story is just these two people driving in a car like it is it is not a movie for everyone yeah like i'll say they do think they do really interesting things with perspective and point of view in here uh like from characters and like who oh yeah. who you're using as your narrator and who's your kind of like anchor character jesse plemons is one of my favorite working actors right now he's not bad and like he's good in every single movie he's in and anytime he shows up i'm always ecstatic um, and to see him working with a director and writer of this caliber is amazing because you're right, Punya. There, there is something unsettling and something weird about him, and it's hard to kind of place your like place your finger on it. But he really plays up this, and he does it a little worse in uh, Judas and the Black Messiah, which is a great movie. But he's probably the the weakest link in that film. Um, he's one of those guys that like. And I think it is built off of, you know, Breaking Bad and Friday Night Lights, where he did kind of play these despicable ass characters that he's done a great job of staying in that mold while also all of his characters feel distinctive. Yeah, it seems like all of his like casting, like all his parts are cast as the slimy whatever. <laughs> yeah, it's like um, slimy FBI agent, yeah, the slimy, slimy neighbor, dealer, the slimy, yeah, <laughs> slimy whatever. football player. Yeah. <laughs> You know, and Jesse Plemons is actually, we talked about this in an earlier episode, but he's mm -hmm. the worst part of Vice. Um, not because of his performance, but just because the his character. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, see, yeah, I forgot he was in that. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. But he is excellent in, uh, have you all seen the movie Game Night that came out? Yes, like, yeah, dude, that's, so that's what I was talking about, too, is like, because he didn't even need to be like a creepy person in that, but he was super <laughs> yeah, unsettling. Dude. And I was like, of course they had him be the slimy neighbor. It's <laughs> so good. It's so good good yeah that movie is i wildly flew under the radar i think i watched it on a plane like it's it's the perfect plane movie i think i know? watched it randomly on hbo back to back with that movie tag that came out at the same time Ooh. which also was not that bad not as good as game night but i didn't hate also you gotta talking about i'm thinking of ending things you have to mention uh america's favorite horror mom tony collette just giving the most unsettling performance again like i if, if you cast tony collette and you don't have her be creepy what are you doing with tony collette yeah <laughs> like i just there's no reason but yeah this is this is definitely not a movie for everyone and it's a movie that's very heavy in some very you know very heavy philosophical ideas and very kind of <sighs> It, you can't really talk about this movie without getting into spoilers, so I think we should yeah. move on. But yeah. I do love this movie a lot. It took me a second watch to really understand and kind of appreciate it. Um, but outside of Eternal Sunshine, I think that can be said about all all Kaufman. Yeah. Mark, you want to hit us up with your pick? Yeah, um, I'm going to go with the 1975 film One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest starring Jack Nicholson. Um, outrageous yeah this is a really, how is this really, a lightweight okay outrageous. its budget is three million dollars oh wow what'd you say this was 1976 75 hit me with okay. that inflation hit me with uh, inflation uh, i'm hitting quick. it up right now yeah yeah <laughs> but um it, it pulled in 163 million so it made you know almost 
some ridiculous percentage of its budget back and that's got to be because of uh two two people mainly which is uh jack nicholson of course as uh, randall mcmurphy and uh louis fletcher louise fletcher as nurse ratchet uh, mm-hmm. one flew flew over the cuckoo's nest follows a group of uh people in a uh mental institution uh back in the 60s so you know when mental institutions were not necessarily the best places ever um, they were icky icky full of abuse <laughs> and whatnot jack nicholson plays a charismatic uh uh you know felon who actually gets himself transferred into the mental inst- institution because he's trying to avoid working and that it, in there he kind of unionizes the other patients which is a cast that includes the debut of christopher lloyd and danny devito um, and they uh, fight against basically Nurse Ratched, who is kind of like a Dolores Umbridge kind of thing, you know, just like mm-hmm. a a very relatable villain, like a villain that is so bad because you know someone who is like that, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. And this this movie is just incredible. It's really good. It's a masterclass. Um. So three million dollars in 1975 would be 14 million dollars today. Yeah. So I, I think that's a pretty hefty lightweight. It's and I would also argue the fact that it was not only nominated but won five Oscars, including Best Picture. Yeah, dude, yeah, this can't wow. be a lightweight. This cannot be a lightweight. This is one of the greatest <laughs> movies of all time, arguably outside of The Shining um, and Midnight Rider or Easy Rider. I can't remember the movie title. Um, one of Jack Nicholson's best performances. Um, I, as you mentioned, he's unbelievable in this. Um, I really do think that louise fletcher is like lights out in every single scene she's in yeah she deservedly won the oscar for best uh best actress um this movie is it's it's absurd that you would consider it a lightweight i'm i'm offended <laughs> personally listen uh i'm just following the rules of uh you know low budget <laughs> low movie because you know Inflation, bigger 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 14 million is still a lightweight though like i mean i agree what is you, your lightweight's but... budget you know it's not lightweight isn't always dependent on budget though dude this movie won five fucking oscars including best picture how could it be a lightweight i could (laughs) see a middleweight i really could because there is essentially one location throughout the entire movie but lightweight my guy come on (laughs) i think the reason the reasoning for lightweight for me personally is because specifically and i kind of mentioned this earlier but with book to movie adaptations a lot of the time I think that a love for the source material, um, you know, enhances how good a adaptation is. And I kind of approached yeah. all of mine this week in the scope of how well does the the movie translate the material, if that okay. makes sense. And um, there is a this is based off a novel that came out in 1962, um, and I just I guess personally. And more, uh, you know, I think that it is a great movie, but is it necessarily a great uh, adaptation of that novel? I don't know. I haven't read the novel. I put it in lightweight because I like the other movies more. I'm going to be honest, but I'm going to defend it because I can budget 14 million. I can understand liking the adaptations of your middle and heavyweight more. I just I, I 
I can't allow, I can't allow a best picture winner to be a lightweight. And that's just like, that's, that's a slap in the face to this committee. Listen, everyone, everyone knows the Oscars are rigged anyway. I haven't even seen the movie, but like, like I've heard of people only talk about that movie in the context of it being like a classic. I, I don't it's know if classic. that's because the book is a classic. And so it, the movie also just kind of gets talked about the same way. But I feel like that one, that movie definitely gets a lot of respect for it. No, this is this is one of uh, one of the best movies of all time, in my opinion, and I'm I'm genuinely offended. <laughs> I'll meet you outside the school after and we can fist the cuffs. Bet. Punya, <laughs> what um, you got? I'll film it for YouTube. Yeah. So Punya already went, my guy, so it's my turn. All right, um, all right. <laughs> I'm coming out hot today. I don't know what's up. Um but speaking of mental institutions, and mm-hmm, I guess mm-hmm. more positive mental institutions, um, I'm going to be talking about 2010's It's Kind of a Funny Story, which is, this is a really personal pick for me. This was a um, a book that I read before seeing the movie. I, I remember as a kid, I had, uh, my parents had a rule where if a book was out and they were making a movie about it, I had to read the book first. Uh, that rule got broken when I couldn't finish Harry Potter 4 before the movie <laughs> came out. But it, it stayed strong for a good while. And it's kind of a funny story. Is, is a film about a depressed teenager who tries to commit suicide and is convinced otherwise. Um, and checks himself into a psych ward in New York City where he kind of discovers the love for life as cheesy as that sounds um but that really is what this movie is about and it's about him growing as a person while also interacting with just a really fun cast of characters which you wouldn't really uh, expect it to be as lighthearted as it is i mean the the film is called it's kind of a funny story and they're not kidding this is like dramedy to the max which is a Dramedy is one of those categories and one of those genres that I I really connect with. I, I think comedy lands harder when it's paired with good drama. Um, and this is definitely good drama. It's not an amazing movie by any stretch of the imagination. I, I do think that this is definitely one of those kind of Parker personal stretch picks. Um, it's starring... I don't even know how to say this. Keir Gilchrist, I guess. Uh, Zach Galifianakis, who's the main draw. Uh, Emma Roberts in a really great role. And uh, Jim Gaffigan, which I honestly forgot Jim Gaffigan plays his father. Um, had an $8 million budget, only grossed about $6.4 million. So it wasn't a commercial success by any stretch of the imagination. Um, but this is one of those movies that holds a, holds a really special place in my heart. Uh, and is is one of those that, like... It's not necessarily the funniest movie. It's not necessarily the best drama, but it's it's one that, you know, as a depressed teenager, it really did click with me and it really did kind of open my eyes. And it's so weird to talk about movies and books in this in this regard, but really that's what I think they're for. And this is a, a very clear and distinct film and book that I remember having an impact on me. Um, and that's that's kind of why I had to talk about it, you know? Yeah, and I think it's a great pick, honestly. Uh, if you like Perks of Being a Wallflower, you probably would really like this movie. 
That's um, a great comparison. Yeah, this is kind of more lighthearted and a little less, uh, you know, like tumbler, tumbler drama-y. Um, <laughs> I say that as someone who really enjoys Perks of Being a Wallflower, but... It is very <laughs> Yeah. It's the uh, Tumblr generation. For yeah, sure. absolutely. But I think these those are very similar vibes. I think this is a great movie. I think uh, Zach Galifianakis is really, really great in this. Um, really enjoyable, you know? He's so great in this mainly because he's really subdued. He's not the typical <laughs> Zach Galifianakis that you would expect, you know. Yeah. And this is coming right off the back of The Hangover, like literally a the year. The next year, after. yeah, yeah. So it's it's crazy to me that they don't kind of tap into his more Allen potential, which makes me think that he had this role lined up before The Hangover. Um, hmm. And that's that's it's really surprising to watch him in in an actual drama and give uh, what I think is probably the best performance of the film. Yeah. See, you yeah, you just answered my question because I was wondering if it's weird to see him in this movie uh, just around the same time that he was in The Hangover. But I guess it sounds like he played it off well. I haven't seen it, by the way. I think I think he's done a good job of separating himself from Alan since the end of the Hangover trilogy. Uh, he's been very very low key with his work. Uh, he had that very weird FX show. I think it was called like Baskets or something, where he was a clown. Yeah, yeah. I, I never watched it. Um, I, I think it is a little bit jarring at first, um, but he he is subdued throughout the entire film. That he never really does break into the kind of Alan mold and the insane person who shouldn't be alive <laughs> like that's that's what alan is alan yeah. should not be alive in the hangover um and this feels like a real person a real person with actual issues and at least by the end of it you do buy him in the role mm-hmm. okay that makes sense you uh you ready to vote i yeah. think so i don't know i'm I'm torn between, to be honest, Mark, I threw yours out. I'm torn between your your pick and my pick, Putin, because (laughs) I think they weirdly have similar tones and similar merits. Yours is definitely more horror-themed than than mine is. Mine's definitely more of a comedy. Um, But the central kind of ideas that both are getting at, I think, are similar. I can can kind of see what you're talking about. Yeah, just like the themes of, uh, like the, the darker themes under it. Yeah, I think I'm probably gonna go with. I'm thinking of anything's over. It's kind of a funny story. Um, I think that Kaufman is a much better director, and it's a much better directed film. I don't necessarily enjoy it as much as I enjoy. It's kind of a funny story, but I think mm-hmm. it's a better movie. Okay, yeah, I'm I'm gonna go with the same ranking. Uh, of I'm thinking of anything's first, and then it's kind of a funny story, and then One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. I see. It's like I would want to put One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest above, only because because I haven't seen uh, either of your two movies. But to the point of it not seeming like a lightweight, uh, yeah, I would not. give it to kind of a funny story. <laughs> <laughs> um. Okay, so I'm going to give my number one to it's kind of a funny story. Okay. And my number two to I'm thinking of ending things, and I'm gonna put on, I'm gonna put the other thing number three. <laughs> um, I, I, you know, there's no defense. You're you're 100 right, Parker. I really should have done. I should have done perks of being a wallflower. Honestly, would have been a much better. Pick <laughs> like, I probably would have put it first. Yeah, but uh, this is, I, I literally like was on the Wikipedia page for uh, it's kind of a funny story, and I just like looked at the poster, and I was like, fuck, I should have just done like, goddamn. <laughs> All right, yeah, um, but that's gonna inflation, be inflation, my guy. Inflation. That's gonna <laughs> yeah. be. I'm thinking of ending things, though. It's gonna get the win there. 
Nice. I, I think that's right. It's definitely not a movie for everyone, but um, if you can stick through it, it's it's well worth it. Yeah. Uh, Pooja, you want to roll into your middleweight next? Yeah, cool. Yeah, so my or actually, middle... you went you went first last time. Let's let's yeah, have Mark yeah, go yeah, first yeah. this time. Totally. All right. Um, I already know me and Parker are about to get into it, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> so for my middleweight, I picked a movie near and dear to my heart. This is Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, which came out uh, in two thousand five, directed by Garth Jennings, written by Douglas Adams. Now, first, I'm going to read the cast. Uh, we got most deaf zoe deschanel martin freeman uh helen fry helen mirren and stephen fry john malkovich and sam rockwell playing what is basically the part that got him george bush and vice um, <laughs> <laughs> oh my god i'm gonna watch this as him as george bush that makes no sense that's, so it's, that's exactly what it is though a hundred percent and this is an adaptation of a series of books of the same name, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, by Douglas Adams. Uh, and what's awesome about this movie is if you're a fan of the book, Douglas Adams, not only did he write the book, he wrote this screenplay, a radio play, um, and I believe a uh, maybe a stage version. All of this same story with tweaks to the script to fit the specific medium that it was going in. Um, which makes this a very, very, very faithful ad- adaptation. Uh, it's basically follows Martin Freeman, who plays Arthur Arthur Dent with his best friend uh, Ford Prefect, played by Most Deaf, and then they kind of just go on a intergal- intergalactic nonsense adventure. Um, and nonsense is really the key word here. It's a lot of dry British humor combined with just you know garbage. Uh, you know, and what this movie does really well is adapt adapting the that additional element of narration that occurs in the books, and specifically in this book, so much of the humor comes from the description of the world um, around and what's happening. You know, stuff that would just be on screen, and so the way they include a narrator by having it be you know the actual Hitchhiker's Guide, which is an important part of the story, narrating. You know, allows them to do narration and funny narration in a way that doesn't feel um, as obtrusive as narration often does in a lot of other movies. Because, uh, it, you know, it, without seeing the movie, it's hard to explain, but it, it's narrated as if out of an encyclopedia sort of thing. Um, and mm. I just love this movie. I love the book and I love the movie. The cast is incredible. I forgot to mention Alan Rickman as well. Um, I was about to come for your yeah, throat. No, yeah, no. I, I, like, I forgot Alan Rickman in a hilarious performance as a depressed robot. And this is just, uh, it, this is a feel-good movie for me, for sure. Punya, I'll, uh, I'll let you get your thoughts about this before I go. Yeah, I was going to say, I love this movie. I saw it uh, a long time ago, but um, I've never read the book, so I actually don't know how good of an adaptation it is. I thought around that time, I, I thought I'd heard people say that it wasn't a good adaptation of the book, so I'm, I, maybe there's just just people who always have different opinions on it. But um, I'm, I'm kind of curious, like, because you touched on the narration. Do you think the narration, like, it was a necessary part of, of it and it felt like it was, like, true to the book in that sense? Or do you think they kind of, like relied on it like as a crutch almost no i i think that um you know narratively the movie is nonsense you mm-hmm. know yeah uh, just like uh, to be upfront, narratively the, the story is it's breakneck pace and uh it, it's kind of nonsense 
but the narration is very true to the book a lot of the book is that same kind of narration because that's the way of uh he takes for world building um which sounds you know kind of tiring but it's pulled off because of the way that it's written with this dry wit kind of uh you know makes it enjoyable okay that makes sense i don't hate this movie like I, I think I've made it seem this, to you, this Mark, movie that for, I hate this movie. For context, this movie is in my top five movies of all time. Okay. And I can I can understand why just knowing you as a person and kind of knowing your your sense of humor. Like, it makes sense. Um, this movie, to me, is British Galaxy Quest, and I don't think that's necessarily a good thing. Like... It is so nonsensical with the story, which I understand is, you know, very similar and almost pulled straight from the actual books itself. But it has a very similar problem that I think Galaxy Quest and weirdly enough, a movie like Rogue One has, which is you're introduced to all of these characters in in a very breakneck pace. And the movie is just kind of like, almost like a bunch of family guy cutaway scenes where it's like hey we're just gonna go to this planet and then go to this planet and then go to this planet and there is an overarching narrative throughout the film but it just it it never feels like that's their ultimate goal It, it almost feels like the pit stops are what's the kind of important part throughout the movie and if that is the case which could be a hundred percent by design that's just not necessarily what i like in a sci-fi movie i guess mm. and and, I, and the humor it, 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 don't get me wrong like there are some amazing bits in this movie like particularly the whale i love the whale it, yeah. it, like it's so funny to me um and obviously the depressed robot is is one of my favorite characters <laughs> in sci-fi history like it's it's so genius and simple that it just works really well I think this movie is filled with a lot of great parts that don't necessarily add up to a great sum of everything, you know? Do you think at the end of the movie, it kind of comes together to have like a cohesive plot? Or do you think by the end, you're still feeling like it's like a loose kind of collection of different scenes? Um, You know, I can definitely see the argument of it being a loose connection. But like Parker said, I kind of enjoy that. And we've talked about this a couple of times on the podcast where movies like A Christmas Story. And I, we've mm-hmm. had this exact same discussion with yeah. A Christmas Story or Monty Python, um, you know, is that and I think that's a very British thing. I could be wrong, but like it's it does feel almost sketch based. Yeah. You know? mm-hmm. um, and I, you know, I love sketch comedy and I know you do, too, mm-hmm. um, but you're not necessarily looking for it in a movie. But I don't mind that loose narrative if the individual meat is good if that makes sense you yeah. know i don't i don't i don't mind taking an excuse for this stuff to be happening if i'm enjoying the stuff and i get uh, that like i'm 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 not trying to bash that side of this movie i i guess for me it's more like i just it's never a movie i'd be like hey let's just throw on like it it almost felt like a chore when i watched it the first time which yeah and is, I think it's a hard way to describe a movie, you know? Yeah. And I think also that comes down to because so much of it is descriptive in world building because you are hitting so many new environments. And that's part of, you know, the charm to me is I love, you know, expanded worlds. But that yeah. definitely comes at the sacrifice of narrative strength, 
it just so happens I don't particularly mind that all the time. You know, I do love a strong narrative, but um, I can I like think, I like the I other like thing as well. Most Def, Alec Rickman, uh, Sam Rockwell, Martin Freeman, even they're all a really very good. a very early Martin Freeman, a very early Martin <laughs> Freeman. I'm not the biggest fan of Zoe Deschanel in this film, and I Me, can't no, tell I'm if, not. It's, and if that's... it's her or if it's that her character really yeah. doesn't have shit to do through the entire movie um, is there a character like that in the book too no the character's not like that in the book and i will say that is the weakest part of this of this movie mm-hmm. and um i i'll say that's because i think zoe deschanel is you know has done some good stuff but she also has you know some stuff where she plays quirky zoe deschanel and, and this it's a was too really much quirky, yeah. <laughs> and like, and this is very much, you know, that. that it's like the that producers. Is, the producers for New Girl saw this movie and they were like, "That's it." That's pretty much exactly right, and I do think that is the weakest part of the movie, which is why I didn't mm. want to talk about her. But yeah, uh, <laughs> go ahead, Punya. Yeah, or Parker, I guess. He, Punya, yeah, yeah, yeah Parker, you can go. Yeah. Um, so for mine, I had a really tough time finding a middleweight because like I mentioned at the start, there are a lot more movies based off of books than I remembered. Um, and for a while I really wanted to talk about fight club. Um, and that was going to be my pick, but I ultimately couldn't, I thought that movie had too much of a cultural impact to be a middleweight. It felt more like a heavyweight to me. And so I couldn't, I couldn't justify it. Yeah, no, I couldn't justify it in my, in my own dumb pea brain. So instead I, I, I went with one that is, I don't think is as culturally relevant, but was still a fairly large hit, um, which is 2000s American Psycho. Uh, Dude, I I fucking love this movie, man. It's uh, directed by Mary Heron. It's based off the novel by Brett Easton Ellis, starring Christian Bale, Justin Thoreau, Chloe Sevigny, Reese Witherspoon, Matt Ross, Jared Leto, and Willem Dafoe. Which, Matt Ross, by the way, um, if anyone has seen Silicon Valley, plays Gavin Belsom. And it's so funny to see him in this movie because it's like uh, slightly more... What's the right way of putting it? It's basically like seeing like an early version of Gavin Belson, and it's it's really funny to to picture him within this financial world. Um, the movie, for those that don't know, is about a uh, New York City investment banking executive who is also a serial killer on the side, and really is the movie is more than it is on the surface. Like on the surface, it does just kind of seem like oh, watch this guy be a serial killer and murder Jared Leto while listening to this wacky music. But really, the movie is a lot deeper than that and is more of a criticism and critique of capitalism America, especially during the 1980s, and sort of the excess and the kind of grandiose that the wealth, especially in banking, had brought in during that time. Um, and there, there's an argument to be made that none of the killings in this movie actually happen. I don't really subscribe to that theory, but this is a movie that is, it's, it has two sides to it. You know, you can sit back and watch it as just like a fairly standard kind of let's watch Christian Bale lose his goddamn mind and have a lot of fun with it. But then you can also watch it as this sort of uh, post-critique of capitalism 1980s New York. 
Um, and I think that side of it comes a lot more from the novel um, than the sort of serial killer side does. And this is just one of those movies. I think it's my favorite Christian Bale performance just because he is so unhinged the entire way through. And Willem Dafoe, excellent as always. Uh, he plays the FBI or FBI or CIA. I can't remember. Uh, he plays a federal agent that's uh, sent in to sort of investigate uh, the missing disappearances of uh, Bateman's coworkers. But yeah, what, what do y'all think about American Psycho? I love this movie. This is yeah. it, it's one of my favorite thrillers. It's it's seriously like yeah, it just keeps you keeps you really like wondering. Kind of like what I was saying about um, I'm thinking of ending things where mm-hmm. partway through the movie you realize like you can't really take what you're seeing on screen for face value. Like you oh, have yeah. to kind of dig under it, see if like is there like am I like being tricked or like am I like seeing things that to the main character are like uh, illusions? Uh, you don't know. So that's really interesting. Um, yeah, just really unsettling. Kind of it's crazy scene because i saw this movie after seeing christian bale and like batman and everything else yeah so interesting seeing him play this like really unhinged uh like kind of deadpan character uh that also just goes fucking insane sometimes <laughs> um I, also this this movie is so iconic i i've seen it referenced in so many things like like people will like reference especially like uh i guess it's in a spoiler like the the scene of like uh, him, you know, in an all-white room, showing the other guy some mm-hmm. records, and then you know, just coming coming down on him. Uh, that that whole that whole scene, like that's I've seen that recreated so many times. It it's, it seems like it's one of those, uh, like despite not being super super old, it's like kind of made it into uh, like mainstream culture. The way that like uh, Luke, I'm your father, kind of scene has, I'd say, just parts of that movie. Do y'all get the same vibe from it or no? Yeah, no, a hundred percent. It's and I think it's all anchored on the Christian Bale performance. Without yeah. Christian Bale in the in the main role as Patrick Bateman, you know, you don't get this sort of lasting impact because as you mentioned, he goes on to be one of, if not the biggest actors in the world. I, I that might be a that might be a stretch now. He hasn't really done much recently. Though he is gonna be in the new Thor movie, so I feel like that'll probably put pique some more interest in his career. Um yeah. He's just one of those actors, man, that like, I almost think, I almost think him doing a Batman movie or him being Batman was a disservice to his, his talent Mm -hmm. and his, his ability to, like you said, Mark, full commit. Yeah. Vice was a good return to full commit for him in that case then. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Fully committed Um, to the donuts. This movie, this movie is... (laughs) (laughs) This movie is really good. Um, it also has a really, really good, uh, y'all don't care, but a really good musical adaptation with like a synthwave soundtrack. Does it really? That sounds incredible. Um, but, uh, yeah, Patrick Bateman is, he's, he's so good in this movie and he is the movie and I, I love movies like that. You know, same, this is like very, uh, Nightcrawler-esque. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. That same kind of thing. Excellent, 100%. Excellent That's it. That's a great comparison. Pony? Oh, oh, my pick? Yeah. Um, so my pick here was uh, White Tiger. So, or the, the White Tiger. So this is a movie that was a, it's a Netflix original. I think it came out at the beginning of this year, maybe a month or two ago. Uh-huh. Uh, and this is a really interesting one, uh, especially because it's a, it's a movie that's set in India, all Indian cast, but it's not a Bollywood movie. It's, it's, in, it's in English. Um, it, it basically covers this... Um, 
it follows this character named Balram who grows up uh, in, in a poor village in India. And he's kind of seen from a young age to like have this uh, like special potential. Uh, so he's like known in the village as the White Tiger. Uh, but eventually, like that potential kind of gets killed just through just the shitty way that like life works, especially within a place like India, where you know like even if the caste system is illegal, it still exists in a, in a certain extent, and people still practice it. And you see that throughout this movie. It's just it's it's kind of like. Um, the, the impression I got is that it's almost like Indian Parasite, but it's not without like being the same, uh, the same kind of like plot and the same approach to it. Uh, but it touches on the same notes of like people who are like so crushed under a system are just kind of made to compete against each other, like no matter what. And it's just sad. Um, but it, it like really tells this interesting story of, you know, he this guy goes on to kind of serve this rich family and then gets into this very weird power dynamic relationship with this family and kind of uh how they treat him and where where he goes with that um i don't want to spoil it too much but it's really interesting uh it it's something that a of course you know for, for like on a personal note made me think a lot about you know just like castes and uh you know just how social kind of structures work in india but i think mm -hmm. on top of that like it really you can draw a lot of parallels to any other country and you really just see it as like a major critique of like what happens in like unchecked capitalism and just like when you have so many so many people that just have no option but to you know cut each other's throats and yeah like the tension that comes from that like so, a crab in a bucket kind of scenario. yeah yeah exactly yeah yeah so it's a it's a really interesting like kind of psychological thriller in that sense i'd uh, i'd actually yeah. never heard of this one before you Me mentioned either. it and and i watched the trailer i guess and I don't think you've seen the trailer, Punya, but my, my question to you is the tone indicated in the trailer is weirdly lighthearted. And then it kind huh. of takes a shift about halfway through and gets more sinister. I guess my question is, is uh, with Parasite as kind of my my background point now, does it does it lean more towards the sinister or does it lean a little bit more towards the kind of like because the movie is set to a queen song the um I, i'm not i'm not very well versed oh. <laughs> in queen songs but it's though i want to set free song um and it's 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 a tone that it, it doesn't really like the images that i'm seeing on screen because i, I don't really want to spoil what happens because i do think the trailer is very spoiler heavy mm. um i i just i wonder what the tone of this movie is is it darker than i'm picturing I think it was dark pretty much the entire time. I don't think there was really like too many moments of like lightheartedness because I haven't seen the trailer, so I'm not sure um, how they showed it there. But maybe at the beginning you see like little bits of like maybe little bits of positivity because that's kind of like where the character has hope and has potential. But but then it slowly kind of just goes into into the full darkness, and you maybe get like hints of like positivity that go in throughout, but it's unsettling because you know that like something is lurking in the background. If that makes sense. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I get that. Yeah. But yeah, just, it was, yeah, it's 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 a pretty serious movie. It just yeah, uh it, it it makes you reflect a lot and just it's one one that you watch and you're like, "Oh god." <laughs> like you're like I hope I hope this doesn't happen in real life, but it probably does, so it's just fuck. So, yeah. Yeah, the, it it looked really really interesting. I'm definitely going to have to check it out. Um the now that now that you mentioned Parasite especially, I I know that's such a high bar and such a high like 
comparison point because Parasite to me is one of the best movies of all time. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 I will say it's not interested. as good as Parasite. <laughs> oh, of course. I, it, it is a Netflix original, so I am going to tamper my expectations because I think that's <laughs> what you have to do with Netflix originals outside of, you know, Roma and Mank and even Mank I wasn't a big fan of. But I digress. Um, man, I do not know what I'm going to do for my my list for this category um, i really I, I can i can go first if you yeah want. go ahead so first off american psycho if i'm listing you know greatest movies of all time american psycho is several magnitudes higher than hitchhiker's guide but i i have to put hitchhiker's guide first um for personal reasons and i do think it's a really enjoyable movie that if you haven't seen you should check out because either you'll i don't think you'll really like where parker's at you don't necessarily hate it you go that was something or you love it it's a movie (laughs) it's a movie that you you it's really easy to fall in love with it and the people that do like it do love it and i suggest checking it out um then american psycho second and i haven't seen white tiger uh after your description though i definitely will be checking it out because uh, it sounds pretty good, but I have to put it third, and I think even if I had seen it, I would probably have this same ranking. Yeah, it makes sense. The other two are like, yeah, really big, pop- popular movies and all. Yeah, I would go. I would probably go American Psycho. I have to put that one first. I love that movie. Yeah. Um, kind of a hard decision between The White Tiger and Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. I would, I think I'll, I think I'll still go with White Tiger. Um, only just because I didn't, I I didn't even really think of um, Hitchhiker's Guide as like. Uh, I, I I never really thought of it much as like a, a good like well planned out like fully full fledged movie based on a book. I don't know if that makes sense. I'm kind of just talking out my ass now. But uh, <laughs> yeah. something 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 to it. I don't know. It seemed like a little bit more lightweighty than uh, than some of these other ones. So yeah, I'm gonna put it uh, below White Tiger. All right. I think I know what you mean about it feeling a little more lightweighty, and and it might come down to the budget is very limited. And they definitely stretch their budget as far as they could, I think. Okay. And I mean, it's, the, I, I think, it's 2005. Like, you can't expect yeah. a yeah, ton, yeah. of ton of and insanely I, great visual effects. Yeah, And I, I, didn't, I didn't mention this earlier, but it does have some really excellent puppet work. Um, yes. Uh, by, hmm. yeah, some, and the puppet design uh, is actually, I forgot to mention that, but is really, really, really good. Whoever the um, first aliens that, like, suck them up yeah, at the beginning, they the look gods. incredible. Um, and I think what this is is it, it seems lightweight, but I think it's because I think the book is more popular than the movie. It's I one agree. of those rare instances. Hmm. Um, so if you haven't read the book, it's more likely to feel because this is like you know basically an adaptation of one of the most successful sci-fi books of all time. Um, so it's if you haven't read the book, it I understand why it would feel more lightweight. But because the book is such a big deal, I think that pulls it up for me, if that makes sense. But I understand yeah. why it would seem that way. No, that makes that makes perfect sense to me. I think yeah. um, we're all going to have slightly different lists because I'm going to go American Psycho, Hitchhikers, then White Tiger, probably. Yeah, okay. uh, that's going to be a dub for American Psycho. Hey, baby. Nice. Um, I can roll us into a uh, heavyweight. Yeah. Cool. So for heavyweight, I really there were only a couple series, I guess, because really when you think of heavyweights, it's got to be franchise films, in, in my opinion. It, and for me, I I really thought about 
you know, the MCU and, and talking about something from there. But ultimately, oh. I, I don't think I don't think you can really consider the MCU because a story like Civil War is technically based on the Civil War comic. But well, there's only so loosely. much. Yeah, it's, it's only a namesake alone. It's like World War Z. Like it's yeah. only similar in namesake. So I, I, I really did have to rule out a lot of picks that I wanted to. Um, Man, if the World War Z movie was good, this would probably would have been be a good one. Great yeah, pick I thought about this. it. <laughs> I, I, I'm low key a defender of that movie. I think that movie is kind of fun. I don't um, think it's I don't think it's a bad movie, but it's not a great adaptation of. World no, War it's Z. a terrible because it, yeah. it's not an adaptation. They literally have maybe one element from the book in the actual movie, but uh, that's whatever studio decided to do that good on you i guess that may have made a shitload of money but for my uh for my heavyweight i'm gonna go with what what is uh, here comes obvious pick parker um with uh 2004's harry potter prisoner of azkaban this is unarguably the best harry potter movie and it comes down to a couple of reasons why this is the first one where Hogwarts itself doesn't feel like a set and doesn't mm -hmm. feel like a soundstage anymore. And that's entirely <laughs> on director Alfonso Cuaron. He really did a great job of making the world of Harry Potter and London and, you know, Hogwarts itself feel like a real place. And I think a lot of that came down to the fact that they shot on location, quote unquote, um, which gives it this more realistic feeling to it. He also, this is the first movie that really kind of set in stone and established the sounds of the wizarding world, which sounds really weird, but mm. the sounds that the wands make are consistent from three on. And it's really thanks to Koran and his um, incredible direction. I, he's one of the best working directors. Uh, I think most people would probably know him from Gravity. Um, and he's he's one of those directors that he likes to really flex and he's allowed to do it because he he has some of the most amazing inventive one takes and one shots in movie history. Uh, this movie, everyone knows who's in it. It's Daniel Radcliffe, Emma Watson, Rupert Grant, Gary Oldman, Alan Rickman, fucking every British actor ever. Um, <laughs> had a budget of $130 million, gross seven hundred ninety-six. Like it's Harry Potter, dude. There's not much yeah. you can you can really add to the discussion of these films. Um, Just uh, specifically about Prisoner of Azkaban, though, mm -hmm. what it really does well is shifting the tone from the previous two movies are yes. more childlike, more fan yeah. wonder-like, and I think that's to their benefit because they're establishing. You know, you're as entranced with this world that they're you know making entrancing. Yeah. Um, and then it does shift into that realistic feeling here. And this is where they're still obviously young, but this is where the series grows up a bit after that introduction, the Christopher Columbus introduction. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I, it is credit to uh, Curon because it, it's fantastic. And this is by far, like you said, the best movie. Mm -hmm. You know, you can have a personal favorite that's different. I like I like Goblet of Fire because Dragon are cool. But, um, <laughs> Dragon <Gopher. laughs> Yeah. But this is the best, you know, like I said, like highest on the best uh, film list. This is the highest Harry Potter one for sure, I think. 
Yeah, I agree with y'all about the distinction of this movie versus the other ones. It's like, this is really like the tonal shift into like, it, it almost feels like this was like the gritty reboot of the Harry Potter series. And it starts <laughs> getting like real. Yeah, it's like, this is the Dark Knight to the, to the, the Harry Potter the franchise. The DC Universe, the Harry Potter. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and yeah, and like, it's definitely in part due to like the darker themes of like the, the book itself. I mean, I guess they all have some, but all, but also, yeah, just kind of shooting on location, like in these different places and just seeing outside of this kind of like, bubble of hogwarts can't you can't you also unfortunately can't talk about this movie without the terrible freeze frame ending which is honestly (laughs) one of my favorite endings in movie history just because how shitty it is I don't remember it. Dude, well, you what's need the to look frame? up the... He literally, he's riding on top of Buckbeat and he like flies into the camera and the camera freeze frames on his face, but they do these weird like motion blur lines at the back. It's it's so unsettling. I'm why I haven't pulled it up right now. It's awful. I'm oh, that's terrible. And then it, <laughs> it fades into it. Oh my God. Dude, it's one of the worst. It is so bad, but... The rest of the movie as a whole is it's not that tone at all, which really makes it feel like that much worse. That's crazy. I, I oh, had God, not yeah, remembered that, that at all. It's I a did great not movie. remember it, that at all. And it's it's truly a testament to Alfonso Coron, I'd say more than anyone, that he was able to make these childish kid movies feel adult. Yeah. Which is which is a necessary step, I think, for not only the subject matter of the stories, but the tone going forward. You don't get Deathly Hollows part two if you don't do Prisoner of Azkaban. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. Um, Wanna roll in, Mark? Yeah, I can go. Um, you know, you're my buddy, obvious pick, Parker. He's, got a, friend, he's got a friend this week. It's obvious pick, Park. Um, I, I wanted to keep the alliteration. I thought it sounded nice. But I'm going to go with <laughs> Lord of the Rings, The Two Towers. And I mean, yeah, it's Lord of the Rings, man. <laughs> it's like... It's, okay, it's, so question, it's, question for you before we start. Yeah, why, yeah, yeah. Why choose Two Towers? Helm's Deep. <laughs> Helm's Deep just, in, just alone, Helm's Deep? Uh, Helm's Deep in the Charge of the Rohirrim uh, is the correct answer. Uh, okay. Um, also, you know, I think three got a lot of Oscar attention because it was the conclusion. Um, but I, I think that I don't know. I, Two Towers is my favorite, basically. But we're, we're these movies were made in such a way, you know, all on mm-hmm. top of each other, that I, it, it's kind of all of them. But that's kind of not fair. So I picked. No, two I know. Towers. I know what you mean. I, I do think Two Towers is probably the better of uh, of the three. It's it's weirdly, I think, because it is in the middle, it, it suffers from middle child syndrome where it's kind of forgotten. Yeah. <laughs> like, I, I think outside of Helm's Deep, there is a lot of of filler bullshit in this movie. But that that's Lord of the Rings in general. It know? is. And this, is, this goes, what, like what I said, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. It's world building for the sake of world building and sacrificing the narrative. And this is the op. This is both of those things. This is world building for the sake of world building because that's what Tolkien did. You mm-hmm. know, that like uh, he loved building worlds. He wrote Lord of the Rings because he wrote Elvish as a language, you know? So he's like, I have to make a world for this language I invented. <laughs> um, and he, uh, you know, but the narrative is strong as well. You know, this is both of those pieces together. Um, and it's just, 
as a movie, these are incredible. And uh, personally, this is, you know, I, I love this. I'm a big fantasy guy. So this is, you know, kind of the holy grail for me. Yeah. I was going to ask, because you said there's like a lot of filler here and like a lot of setup. Do you think it all pays off in the plot of like the third movie or is I it do. kind of the same pacing? I, I think it even pulls off. I think Helm's Deep, like I, it, it, I joke because it's like a cool battle. That's why I like it. But also it is such a good climax to the middle part of the story where like there is some there is some drag within the middle of this movie. But then there definitely is a, you know, satisfying ending versus, you know, the Hobbit movie ending on the dragon flying towards the town and then it cuts the black and you kind of feel blue balled. You know, this feels like a succinct, you know, end to this part of the story. It's a full and complete story while also leaving plenty for Return of the King. Yeah. No, I, I agree entirely. And I do think Helm's Deep does help elevate this movie a lot um it's definitely why it's my favorite over um fellowship because fellowship is kind of a nothing movie on its own i'm, I'm not the biggest fellowship fan I, re- I really do like two towers and return a lot more um mm-hmm. but yeah dude it's it's lord of the rings i think it's it's hard to come up with a unique thought about this movie same with yeah. harry potter like it's really hard to i think the craziest thing about this movie is that they just, you know, trusted um, Peter Jackson yeah. with it. <laughs> yeah, dude. Like, this could have ended up like uh, Joss Whedon's Justice League. Yeah, or just like, because <laughs> like, at least Joss Whedon had like a resume. Um, yeah, you yeah, right. Peter Jackson has like, uh, I've never heard of Bad Taste, Meet the Feebles, Brain Dead, Heavenly Creatures, Forgotten Silver, The Frighteners. I've never heard of any of those. Oh, dude, honest. The Frighteners <laughs> is so much fun if you've never watched it. It's like a really schlocky kind of cheesy B movie horror, um, and it's it's great. I definitely recommend that. Uh, I'll I'll have to check that out. I love Michael J. Fox. So, um, oh yeah, it's great. And it's crazy that such a franchise of this caliber, because this is Lord of the Rings. Even the books are like they're the biggest fantasy books of all time, you know. Um, and so the fact that he was trusted with this, but it pays off because of the passion he put into it, and also single-handedly created an industry for film in New Zealand. Yep. Um, mm. It's it, it's crazy the impact that this movie has had, both you know in New Zealand just in general, and then also on filmmaking. Um, and the stuff that uh, Weta w- was able to accomplish uh, oh, CGI-wise, yeah. especially for the time, is incredible. Like, absolutely incredible. And can't I, Andy Serkis as Gollum, awesome. Oh, yeah, should have won an Oscar. I, yeah, uh, yeah, 100%. I also like the fact that Peter Jackson hasn't gone back and George lucas this movie and, like, added unnecessary CGI for no reason. Like, he's been very good about kind of leaving it alone. Yeah, and some of it, like, going back, specifically the the elephants in Return of the King can look kind of rough sometimes. Oh, yeah. But also their dependence on using actual extras for a lot of the armies um, goes a really long way with, uh, you know, selling the scale of these giant conflicts, you know? It makes it feel very, very real. Helm's um, Deep looks like 20 times better than the final battle on Winterfell in Game of Thrones. Yeah, And it's 100%. like 20 years later. Yeah, and, and like it's crazy stuff where I, I, I I'll try to pull up the stat real quick, but uh, they made so much chain mail for all the extras that uh, I can't remember the exact like measurement, but 
basically all the blacksmiths like worked their fingertips off just making chain mail for this movie and they do a lot of cool stuff with force perspective for the hobbits and the dwarves where you can just like if you're into like cinematography stuff the special features for lord of the rings is like it it, it, arguably better than the movie at times at times (laughs) yeah especially the force perspective Mm -hmm. stuff you know, Dude, it I'm was just crazy. Honestly, like I, I was never really into the Lord of the Rings uh, series. I watched all of them and just, I don't know, it just never really did anything for me. I just never could really like catch on with the plot. But that, it's like I've, I've always been really interested in like the visuals of it and just kind of like how they put it all together, especially like taking such a big world and you know condensing it into these movies. I'm I think you same, would. I'm kind of in the same boat as you, Poon. You're like I, I'd only watched all three of them within the last maybe year and a half, two years. Yeah. <clears throat> Um, yeah, it's just it's kind of like it's like a like like where Star Wars exists. So I'm like, all right, I should watch it. You know? Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. Like, yeah That's crazy like that. to me, dude. We would we my family would marathon the all three extended editions like twice a year. Oh, you wanna um, you wanna roast it. me even worse? Um, before I saw any Lord of the Rings movie, I watched all three Hobbits in theaters. I I bet <laughs> it was a really pleasant surprise. Though. I was not a fan. <laughs> Puno, you wanna hit us with your uh, heavyweight? Yeah, yeah. So this one would also I would say this is an obvious pick only because it's an extremely popular movie, but not obvious because I didn't even know this was based on a book until I looked into it. It's mm. the Wolf the Wolf of Wall Street. Um, and it's based on, I mean, most people have heard of this movie. It's won so many awards, uh, starring, uh, Leonardo DiCaprio, uh, Jonah Hill, a couple other people, uh, Margot Robbie. Um, and it's, so this movie is based on, uh, a memoir by Jordan Belfort, the actual guy who's, I mean, it's like a, yeah, the, the guy who's, you know, basically the protagonist and antagonist of this movie. Yeah. Uh, so that's kind of interesting. I'm really, I'm curious, like, is the book any good? Is how does he portray himself in the book? Is he like, does he portray himself as a hero? Like, he does. and then how does, how does the movie, okay. <laughs> and then how does the movie kind of vary from that? Cause clearly they do show him in a bad light uh, at times, but also glorify him at other times. Um, so th- yeah, so the, oh, go ahead. No, no, I was just going to say, I think that's due to the fact that it's Scorsese. There's uh, a different creative head putting out the film. Like it's Scorsese making the decisions on the film rather than it coming from the source. So it kind of has to channel through Scorsese to make it to the screen rather as with the Belfort memoir, like he can just write whatever the hell he wants to write. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. It's not like they had to get Jordan Belfort's like approval on anything to to go through with this I stuff. I think he or maybe was involved. Like... I think he was involved with the script. Um, I might be mistaken there. Um, no, I think it... he was because he's like a motivational speaker now. Yeah, that's like mm-hmm. what he like. That's what he does. I guess this um, your your pick brings up an interesting question that I never really thought about. Are a lot of biopics? I guess you could consider being adaptions, right? Yeah, I, I guess so. If, if, yeah. they, if they if it's on an existing biography, I could see that. Yeah. Well, I guess I guess the question is because like this is a perfect example because it comes from the memoir of the person the movie's about. But this if is you like, adapt like like uh, the movie Selma, right? Would you consider that a, an adaptation? 
I don't know if I would mm. consider Soma, but I would consider this. And like we talked about last week, Wolf, uh, the, 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 the Wolf of Wall Street, but older, um, but 50s. Uh, <laughs> oh, shit. Oh. Catch me if you can. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that's a, this is like that exact same kind of thing, you know, where it's uh, based off a memoir of a, the guy with Leonardo DiCaprio. It's actually an interesting parallel. But... Mm. Um, yeah, I think that absolutely qualifies as an adaption, but I don't necessarily think Soma would. Okay, I see what you're saying. But yeah, yeah. what, what um, made you pick this, Punya, over some of the more like kind of tentpole franchises? You know, uh, I I think I think it was uh, a my desire to not pick one of the obvious ones like like a Harry Potter or yeah. Lord of the Rings. No, no, no. Who would do that? Who would do that? Who would ever do that? Not me. Um, and yeah, not I this think. Guy. Um, it's like this is a movie that I really liked in terms of like just a lot of things in terms of just being a good movie, uh, like lots of elements of like bringing in all the emotions, bringing in good drama, good comedy, uh, like really like having ups and downs, good pacing. Um, I, I just yeah, it's 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 a pretty memorable movie. Um, but I think I think I picked it just because I was kind of surprised that it was uh, adapted from a book. Yeah. Um, and um, just yeah, obviously like none of us have ever read the book, so who knows? But. Yeah, I guess you bring up an interesting question of like, it's yeah, like when a, when a movie is based on something in real life, isn't that also kind of an an adaptation to an extent? Yeah. I mean, is it only an adaptation if someone wrote a book about it already? Or I guess I is know. it only an adaptation if it's either a self like an autobiography or fictional? Yeah. Like, cause if you make this is a shitty example, but like, let's say you make uh, a biopic and all of your reference for what happens is Wikipedia. Is that an adaptation? <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. I mean, you guys heard that story about like uh, I don't know if this is still happening. I'm sure that I did got killed, but a film a uh, a studio bought a script based off a Reddit comment um, <laughs> about it was like you know some ask reddit thread where this guy you know wrote about 300 marines going back in time and fighting the roman empire and how that would go down and a studio bought the the idea from him and i'm sure it's dead in development now but that kind of sounds like the movie overlord weirdly overlord with uh that's the that was supposed to be a cloverfield movie it's like fighting yeah, like the world i War actually II never zombies. saw that yeah it's, I never saw it. it's metal as hell man there's some gory ass shit in that movie um real back, quick back to wolf of wall street this movie suffers from the same problem as fight club where a lot of the people that like this movie like it because they like the main character for traits he's being critiqued for uh-huh um mm. which is endlessly frustrating to yeah. me but, but is that uh, is that an indictment on the film or the no i don't i don't think that is an indictment i don't think that is an we live in this society <laughs> yeah, I mean, you're, saying, you're saying because they kind of glorify his like asshole tendencies like the way he like uses people like, just him being a shitty guy and they like show it in a positive way that people are like yeah fuck yeah and like, i think it, i think it comes down to maybe just like the slap on the wrist at the end oh like you okay. see this dude be an absolute degenerate and a terrible person for like two and a half hours three hours and i mean look at it this way man if the if the cast of seinfeld got more jail time than fucking jordan belfort something's wrong (laughs) (laughs) and what's crazy is that it's real that really happened he really got that slap on the wrist and now he's making money off talking about it that's crazy man i love capitalism yeah we we really live in a society 
we live yeah, in a right. society. I, I guess I, I hadn't considered like the the point of a lot of people being fans of it because of like the glorification of it. Yeah, I. Mine was just, I'd like it because it's a well put together movie. No, but, and, uh, it, yeah. and, it, and it 100% is, and that's not a detriment to the film no. in any way. I know. It's like Joker and Incels. Just because Incels like yeah, Joker yeah. doesn't mean it's necessarily mean a joke, bad yeah. movie. Even though it depends. Um, do y'all have your picks? Uh, I think so. Go for it. I gotta go. I'm going to pull a 180 on you. Uno, reverse card. I'm going to go Wolf of uh, Wall Street, Harry oh, Potter, shit. Lord of the Rings. Oh, shit. I'm going to pull a Uno, Uno reverse card on you. Okay. Okay. I'm going to go okay. I'm gonna go Prisoner of Azkaban, Wolf of Wall Street, Lord of the Rings. What? Get fucked. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm going Lord of the Rings. I'm taking my ball home, and I'm not playing with you guys anymore. <laughs> uh, I'm going to go Lord of the Rings, uh, Azkaban, Let's go. Wall Street, and do the normie pick. Um, but yeah, that's going to give Prisoner of Azkaban. Hey, baby. Nice. This is the first episode where I haven't won oh, a category. Wow. You'd love to see that. <laughs> I think there was some conspiring the the peasants are the peasants are crawling <laughs> their way out of the out of the bucket Rise up. Oh my <laughs> to your throne of lies. <laughs> I I think uh, on 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 that note that'll probably do it for another episode of Movie Weight Classes. Um, Want to thank everyone again for listening and supporting. Um, sorry we kind of missed a release date, but we promise that's not going to happen again. Uh, can't you tell by how, how regular sounding my voice is that I'm telling the truth? You always, you sound, sure. like always sound like that. Um, but thank you again for joining us for another episode where bi-weekly podcast released every other Wednesday. Um, on the next episode, we're going to be talking about slasher movies, going to be dipping Stop. into the horror Stop. well Stop. a little bit, um, which Stop. I'm really excited to talk about as, as a perpetually fucked up kid who loved horror movies. Um, this is going to be a fun category, I think. Yep. But yeah, thanks guys for joining us for another episode. Um, and yeah, uh, I don't have an outro, so uh, play the music this now. This is play the, the outro. <laughs> <laughs> Leave it all in. <laughs>